Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. We are in a sermon series titled Looking Along. It's a series about our human longings. It's a series that hopes to find in the revelation of our God, an explanation for those desires we find bubbling up in our souls, in our minds, in our hearts, in our societies. We, we long, for example, we, we long for beauty of all sorts. We long for understanding and explanations. We long for justice, for the good and the right to be done. We long for a sense of home and belonging. So, as we search the scriptures for answers and we look along our longings, we find that Jesus has his finger on the pulse of our hearts. He knows what our passions are, what we long for. And Jesus, the Lord who stands before and above all things, holding it all together, He reveals to humanity that he alone is the source of all that we long for. He is the bread of life. He is the living water, the fount of all that we hunger and thirst for. So so this is a fitting series as we've all sat inside and looked outside our windows, learning what it means to long for better days. This has been a year of cabin feverish longing. Longing for days where we can enjoy the presence of friends and family and nature again, laughing, playing, eating, living, worshiping, learning together. We thirst for those days. We've also sat inside and we've witnessed on the news Marches and riots spring up all over our country. We saw more than 70 continuous days of protesting in Portland. Social media posts and violent uprisings and everything in between have bubbled up in all four corners of the world, all marching to the beats of a universal rallying cry, Black Lives Matter. Some of us may have joined in with them on the streets, crying, no justice, no peace. This year has taught us all a little more about what happens when a people's longing for justice bubbles up to the surface. Disruption happens. You find grassroots movements being organized, people gathered together in their towns and emotions run high and leaders of the protests stand at a high point and they address the crowd before them with their speeches filled with principles like all men and women are created equal or freedom is not free or do justice and love mercy or God is on the side of the oppressed and cheers will rise up from the crowd no matter their color 
or religion, and the people gathered are empowered with a sense of unity and fervor for justice. They go home and they vote or they donate or they have hard conversations with their family or they read a new book or they post on social media. These protests inspire a longing for right to be done, and wrong to be corrected, and justice is mobilized. I think in these protests, you'll, you'll see events very similar to the kind of events we see in Scripture. In the Scriptures, you'll find an oppressed people longing for justice. You'll find a humble teacher, one of their own, named Jesus, mobilizing movements, organizing people under ancient calls for justice found in their very own scrolls, what we call the Old Testament. For example, as we read in Luke 4, Jesus begins his ministry reading from Isaiah 61. Out of all the passages he could have picked as his mission statement for his work, he chooses this particular passage. He opens the scroll and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. After this, Luke says that report about Jesus began to reach every place in the region. See, Jesus had put his finger on the beating pulse of his people, on the longings for justice in their hearts. The oppressed Jews, the sick, the poor, the enslaved had all been waiting for the prophesied kingdom of justice, led by the arrival of a political messiah who would overthrow the powers and principalities of sin and of Rome. And upon this messiah's arrival, they would begin to gather and mobilize and follow him. This is what we see with Jesus. And it is in this particular context of longing for justice that Luke brings up an interesting story. Luke inserts the story of Zacchaeus in this narrative. Zacchaeus isn't the person we would usually think of when we think of Jesus and justice. Zacchaeus is that funny short man in that ridiculous story um, about climbing a tree. That's, that's who we think of when we think of Zacchaeus. But, but Luke purposefully places the story about Zacchaeus in the context of teachings about the kingdom of justice. He brings up this story when Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, where in Jerusalem it was prophesied that the Messiah would come and justice would come and people would have right relationships with other people and God when this Messiah came to Jerusalem. And Luke places the story about Zacchaeus here in this context. So, in Luke chapter 16, Jesus is about to enter the kingdom and fulfill all those prophecies. 
And in chapter 16, we see the Pharisees ask about this kingdom. And Jesus confirms their suspicions. Jesus begins to talk about the rich and the poor. He gives the parable of the persistent widow who pleads for justice. He talks about the rich, wealthy ruler who is unable to enter the kingdom because of his material possessions. These teachings are all about how the kingdom will level the playing field of the society between the rich and the poor, between the powerful and the oppressed. And again, this is where this is where Jesus, uh, Luke inserts the story of Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus, he is a rich and unjust man. He was a tax collector. Tax collectors were Jews who stole from their own flesh and blood, who stole from their families and their nation by selling out to the Romans. Don't, don't forget how important cultural and familial ties were in a society like this. Tax collectors were people who took a job from the very government, Rome, who were oppressing their people, and used that job for their own gain, exploiting and stealing from the poor among them. So the man, Jesus, who has his finger on the beating heart of the nation, crying out for justice, who has mobilized all of those people with that fervorous crowd at his heels, He's about to enter Jerusalem and be hailed as their king, the triumphal entry. And Jesus encounters the very kind of person this crowd despises and hates and wants dead and gone in the name of justice, Zacchaeus. So as I read this narrative, I want us to notice two points of significance I think the Lord wants us to pay attention to in this time. One is the of course, the social impact of Jesus' ministry, and two, it's going to be the misunderstanding of the disciples. Here's the story. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he, Zacchaeus, hurried down and was happy to welcome him. And all who saw it began to grumble and say, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. As they were listening to this, 
he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. The first point is pretty clear. There is a social, societal dimension to Jesus's ministry. Ian talked last week, right, about bringing together the sacred and the secular. Here in this narrative, we also see the coming together of the spiritual and the social. Zacchaeus, upon repentance, redistributes his wealth, wealth that he had gained on account of his own sin and his participation in a corrupt system of Roman domination through taxation. And I also want to emphasize that these lines between spiritual and societal, spiritual and social, they're blurry. When Jesus had fed the crowds, you know, the stories of feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000, one author put it, the crowds began to hail Jesus as the welfare king that had been prophesied in the Old Testament. The new Moses who would again bring down, who had again brought down manna from heaven. So as we find in, in Revelation, in Scripture, the lines between spiritual and social, repentance and redistribution, these are blurry lines. And we deceive ourselves if we think that we can easily distinguish between the two. Jesus' ministry is not just spiritual, and it's not just social. In some divine way, it's both. The second point is about misunderstanding. This one's a little more subtle. The last line, verse 11, we read, As they were listening to Jesus, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Remember, the crowds and the disciples had expected Jesus to ride into Jerusalem, be crowned as the king of Israel. The kingdom would come, justice would be done, and every tear would be wiped away. But instead of this new political kingdom, Luke inserts a story about our leader eating at the table of a rich, unjust man. Elsewhere, we find our Messiah, our King, washing feet. And instead of a sword and a crown, he takes up a cross and he dies at the hands of the very empire he was supposed to overthrow. See, all throughout this journey, the disciples and the crowds have been missing the point. They've misunderstood. They've been waiting for proof that Jesus was the real deal, that he would overthrow Rome and level the playing field for everyone. You see, this misunderstanding, you see, this misunderstanding is most clear after Jesus was crucified. As Ian brought up last week, the people walking on the road to Emmaus were walking away from Jerusalem, disappointed, saying, we had hoped Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. 
They had hoped that Jesus would bring the kingdom, and they were disappointed because they remained under the thumb of Caesar and under the thumb of sin. I struggle with the same misunderstanding, especially in these times. Having been with Jesus and knowing the extent of his love for me and my communities, and having read the promises in the scripture, I think, well, hasn't humanity suffered enough? Surely justice is to come now. Surely the kingdom is to come immediately. God, if you really cared about us, why would you let this suffering go on? It's been 2,000 years. Isn't it time for you to come back? Isn't it time for you to move? I've been to the protests and I've watched the videos of black men and women being lynched by the police and I've read the stats about sex trafficking and I've seen the hypocrisy and toxicity in the church towards women or those who are queer or disabled and I felt the hunger and thirst for justice. So Jesus, are you the Messiah or not? Are you the real deal? In the aftermath of James Blake, yet another name in our unending list, Chris Weber, who is a prolific black broadcaster and retired player in the basketball world, he went on TV and when the players chose to go on strike, um, when the NBA players chose to go on strike this past Wednesday during the playoffs, Chris Weber he said this, I have a godson who has autism and I've just had to explain to him why we aren't playing. I have young nephews that I've had to talk to about death before they've even seen it in a movie. If not now, when? We know nothing is going to change we get it. Martin Luther King Jr. got shot and risked his life making efforts. If we've seen this in all of our heroes, we understand that it's not going to end. If not now, when? Weber lamented the same state of destitution. Dr. King invoked in his letter from the Birmingham jail 60 years ago, in 1963, he wrote, We have waited for more than 340 years for our constitutional and God-given rights. Perhaps it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. But when you have seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick and even kill your black brothers and sisters, when you see the vast majority of your 20 million Negro brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to the public amusement park that has just been advertised on television and see tears 
welling up in her eyes when she is told that Fun Town is closed to colored children, and see ominous clouds of inferiority beginning to form in her little mental sky, and see her beginning to distort her personality by developing an unconscious bitterness toward white people. When you have to concoct an answer for a five-year-old son who is asking, Daddy, why do white people treat colored people so mean? There are 60 years in between Chris Webber's and Dr. King's laments. And though there has been progress, the effects of racism remain. The point I want to make in this subsection about misunderstanding is that we've been in this place before. We know that Ahmaud Arbery isn't the first victim of vigilante lynching. We know that Breonna Taylor's death is representative of many, many more like it. The church, Ecclesia, our namesake, we've been in this place before. The people of God have longed for justice before. And every time we've longingly suffered, waiting for justice, we've questioned whether God really cared. We've questioned whether God would fight for us and right the wrongs that exist in our societies. We've questioned why he hasn't leveled the playing field. Our temptation in this moment is to walk away in disappointment. Our temptation is to wallow in the sorrow and frustration. Our temptation is to walk away from the cross. Our temptation is to just wait for another president or the right policies or wait for a legion of angels to save us. Jesus responded to this temptation in the story about Zacchaeus. Verse 11 says, as we read before, when the crowds watched the repentance of Zacchaeus, Jesus went on to tell a parable. This parable is about the nobleman who went away. Before the nobleman went away, this is the parable, before the nobleman went away, he gave his servants each the same sum of money. Each, he gave them all a little bit of money. Some of the servants took that money that they were given and they invested it and made more from it. Some of, one of the servants became scared of what would happen if he lost that sum of money. And he hid it away. When the nobleman came back, he rewarded those who used the money he had given them to make more money, who invested it. And he punished the one who hid the money away out of fear. The meaning of this parable is this. Jesus is the noble man who has gone away. He has given us the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority and the resources to do kingdom work 
on his behalf. The crowds and the disciples misunderstood Jesus because they thought the work was already done. The work of justice is not yet done. Let us take up our crosses and follow the way of Jesus. People like Jacob Blake, who suffer under the powers of sin and principalities of society, Jesus moved toward these people. Jesus moved towards those who were paralyzed, laying on their mats in the outskirts of society, and he told them to get up and walk, tearing down the curtain between the poor and the sick and their neighbors. He treats all as beloved children of God, rich and poor. Jesus also goes to the tax collectors, the sinners, the Zacchaeuses, the rich, the deceitful of his time. And he, he too treats them as beloved children of God. His love brings them to repentance, even though you wouldn't expect it. Zacchaeus was someone who literally, because he was short, could not see God, and figuratively could not see God because he was rich. Jesus dines at their table, too. He has called us to do the same. And though you and I are sinners, he has considered us trustworthy, appointing us to his service, filling us with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. And though you and I are sinners, he has dined at our tables too, and he remains in our home. As Chris Weber said on Wednesday night, even though we might misunderstand, and even though we might say, if not now, when, we still, we still must act now. We must do something now. As Dr. King wrote, for years, he and his people have heard the word wait. It rings in the ear of every black person with piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant never. We must come to see that justice too long delayed is justice denied. In this rebuke, he sends not to members of the KKK, but to the white moderates who stayed silent out of fear. When the nobleman comes back from his journey, what will you have done with the resources he has given you? Our community needs you. Students of all ages, workers of all types, our businesses need you. The poor in our midst need you. Organize something. Build something. Participate in something for our community. Do not wait. Act. God has given you a manifestation of the Spirit to serve the common good. He has given all of us a manifestation. So what will you do with your voice? What will you do with your hands, your feet, your money? I was talking to a barber at Nassau Barber uh, just by Sacred the other day. 
uh, as she was cutting my hair. She wasn't a Christian, but she had this burning passion to quit her job and to go cut the hair of poor and disadvantaged kids because she knew the difference that a haircut, a haircut could make. All she needed was a little bit of inspiration and an opportunity that would probably come if she just had a network of people supporting her. There are people like that in our community. There are people like Zacchaeus climbing a tree to see what all the ruckus is about. And once Jesus dines at their table and invites them into our community, they will be moved to do justice. The gospel of Jesus is so powerful. It is the justice we long for. Let us praise the God of Israel. Lord God, we cry out on behalf of the poor, the captives, the sick, and the oppressed. How long, Lord? How long must we cry violence, but you do not save? Let justice roll down like a river. Let worship turn into revival. Lead our hearts back to you, God, for our heart is restless until we rest in you. Our nation, our communities are broken without your redemption. Our longings for justice will not be satisfied until you dine at our homes. May you come quickly. In the meantime, Lord, we plead. We plead for, for the faith to do the work you have set before us. Bring awareness to the needs in our community and empower us with your Holy Spirit to do that work. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.